Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Random BS. I'm Michael, recording just outside of Dowd's bathroom window, and this week we're going to be talking about the football coaches in the Big Ten. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rain BS. My name is Michael and today we're going to be talking about the football coaches in the Big Ten. We're just going to go and give a brief little overview of each of the coaches, talk about how long they've been there, what they've done since they've came to the team, and we're going to talk a little bit about Purdue's competition this upcoming year. have any particular order for these these uh, these coaches, uh, but we're just going to talk through them a little bit, and then we'll end with a tiny discussion of, of Ryan Walters. So the first coach that we want to talk about is Jim Harbaugh, who's the Michigan head coach. And Jim has had a very interesting career at Michigan. He finally beat OSU, won a conference championship two years ago, then went ahead and did it again. So things are definitely trending up for Harbaugh, especially after a couple of years of maybe asking if he was the right coach for that program. He's only lost two games in the last two seasons. He's spent eight years at Michigan, and this question of whether he was going to go to the pros to coach or whether he was going to pursue other opportunities has largely been put to bed. Now there's still this question of can that success within the conference translate to the national stage. And I would say by and large, that's still yet to be determined. But overall, I think that's a fairly stable coaching. Uh, Next, we can talk about Brett Bielema at Illinois. Uh, he has had um, fairly good success in the last couple of seasons. He almost won the Big Ten uh, West division last year, except for Purdue. So choo-choo on that one. He's a big recruiter. He's a big personality, sort of known. Everything's big with Brett Bielema. He did a great job of training Ryan Walters, which we're all super appreciative of. And he has experienced quite a bit of attrition due to Walters leaving both players and coaches. And he has spoken incredibly highly of Walters. And so it'll be interesting to see how Illinois is able to turn things around or whether they are able to maintain that same level of success that they've had in the previous seasons. But Brett Bielma, fairly solid and will probably remain in that role for quite some time. Then you've got P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, and I think the thing that comes to mind with Fleck is that he is a super huge weirdo. Um, that shtick that he has, um, his motivational quotes, and the way he just generally acts as a person is something that really captured a lot of people when he was uh, prior to joining Minnesota. It's kind of worn out its welcome a little bit, but he has still had some success at Minnesota and has been able to uh, continue that. He's won every bowl game that he's played as the Minnesota head coach. He's big on rushing the ball, uh, both in attempts per game and time of possession. He's a guy that really dominates the ball from that standpoint. So his time at Minnesota is fairly stable unless a bigger program comes through at some point and, and uh, hires him away. But he was hired at the same time as Braum and has maintained that success, and I think it's likely that we're going to see him continue as a golden gopher for quite some time now. Then you have Mel Tucker at MSU, and I think the word that describes his tenure as the Michigan State head coach is just disappointing. It's been incredibly disappointing. I think Michigan State is not on the trajectory that they would expect 
Uh, he's had some really awful defenses in recent years, which is an interesting change from prior to him joining uh, the Spartans. He does have an amazing contract, a confluence of events, um, with having some early success, the COVID year, all of that. His contract value is $95 million, so that is quite a bit of money. He's also a pretty good recruiter. He's been able to maintain some success on the recruiting trail. He's pulled in some blue-chip players, but ultimately the team has not quite lived up to um, some of the promise that he showed early in his career at Michigan State. So his time at the uh, university, we'll see where that goes. The size of his contract, I think, inoculates him a little bit from a lot of this discussion about whether he's on a hot seat or not. But look for him to see what he does this next year and whether if he's mm. able to recapture some of that earlier success that he had. Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern has spent 17 years as the head coach at Northwestern. He won the Big Ten West in 2020, but last year he had zero wins on American soil. The only win of his time uh, last season uh, came in Europe, so that's something. But uh, clearly things are not looking very well at Northwestern. His recruiting record has been similarly terrible. He doesn't tend to get a lot of really great talents he's not able to really build a solid program he's been there for 17 years and i think he's sort of crossed that point where you might see a coach or a program part ways from from a coach um i'm not exactly certain like how that's going to end up but uh 17 years there is just not really able to capture some of the magic that he had in some of the earlier seasons but it's northwestern so i don't know how aggressive they're wanting to be with respect to um getting a new coach in. ryan day at osu is obviously the uh the standard bearer for coaches in the Big Ten. Um, he's a little bit of an interesting case because there's a lot of argument over whether he's just really good at running a program like Ohio State or whether he actually is a talented head coach. And I'm not really sure it matters all that much. The fact is, is that he is able to just win. And I know that they have not lived up to their standards in, in the last two seasons. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Michigan has finally broken through after years and years of, of losing to Ohio State and actually beat them those last two seasons. And whenever you're the Ohio State head coach and you lose to Michigan, especially multiple years in a row, there comes these questions as far as whether you're a good long-term fit. The fact of the matter is, is if Ohio State wanted to move on, wanted to bring in a coach, there is probably only a handful of coaches that wouldn't seriously considering uh Consider move over, moving over and coaching the Buckeyes. He's only last, lost six games in the last four years, but there's this constant pressure if you're the head and coach of Ohio State, and I know that he that he feels that. I know that the fan base uh, feels that. He's made the playoff three times. He's a fantastic recruiter. I mean, these programs like Ohio State just pull in these blue chippers year after year after year. And at the end of the day, if you're asking yourself whether Ohio State is going to be able to maintain some sort of success or whether um, Ryan Day is going to continue to be successful, at the end of the day, this is Ohio State that we're talking about. They are, until proven otherwise, always going to be an extremely tough team. So his job is still fairly um, fairly solid, and uh, that team is going to continue just to be an incredibly difficult team to play. 
Luke Fickle is the new shiny toy at Wisconsin. He had a great three seasons at Cincinnati. And the real question for Wisconsin with Fickle coming on board is, are they going to maintain that identity that they've had over the last several decades of being a real punch-you-in-the-mouth, run-oriented, big uglies up front, whatever sort of football cliche you like the most? That's been the identity of that program for so long. But I don't really think that's Luke Fickle. And I think we're going to see some changes over time in terms of that identity of that program and how they like to play, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Now, he did great at Cincinnati, and I would I am absolutely terrified of, of playing Wisconsin. Mike Lockski uh, at, Mer- at Maryland, he last season had his best season since 2010. Generally, things are just getting better at Maryland, better recruiting, better play, better players, and they might just kind of be fine. We might see them break through a little bit, but Maryland has been a program that not too many people in the conference are scared of, but they have, they're in an advantageous recruiting uh, region and, you know, they are playing better. They're recruiting better. So they're a team that you would want to keep your eyes on. Greg Schiano is uh, probably the um, least likable coach in the Big Ten at Rutgers. Remember when he used to be good? He had a couple uh, seasons during his first tenure at Rutgers that actually had them uh, doing some interesting things. Uh, he left um, Rutgers and then proceeded to not be super successful. He's back for round two, uh, but has only won 12 games in the last three seasons and four wins a season is just not going to cut it. Uh, even for Rutgers. Uh, one of the things that really hurts Rutgers is that they have to play Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, Michigan state. They have a lot of, they've got really tough schedules given the division that they're in that they just have to play every year. And it's just going to be very difficult for, uh, them to reach that same level of success that he had for uh, two seasons back when he was the Rutgers head coach several years ago. Next up is Tom Allen at IU. And I, I really like Tom Allen. And I think I'm not the only Purdue fan who feels that way. I, I know that he's can be a little corny sometimes. And I know that this like uh, this thing that he has with the Hoosiers is, is aggravating to those who are not a part of the IU program. But he seems like a genuinely good guy. He's very enthusiastic and a very authentic way um contrast him to like pj fleck where it always feels like a little bit fake i don't know if that's fair to fleck or not but i don't really care but alan has really instilled in that hoosier program a lot of confidence and that's been a huge thing for one of the worst football programs in division one history so i don't really want to discount that too much however in the last um, two seasons, they've only won six games. And even for IU, that's just not very good. Uh, he's made some good hires, but he's sort of at that point in his tenure at IU where they have a disappointing season and he fires half of his coaching staff and brings on some promising new guys. And you're thinking, okay, well, maybe it really is the assistant coaches, but in the back of my, my mind, at least, I'm thinking like this is only delaying the inevitable. At some point, you can only run through your roster or run through your, your coaching staff so much before it just becomes evident that whatever spark that he had back in 2019 and 2020, whatever spark existed then just doesn't exist anymore. And he's just not going to be that guy that's going to take IU to that next level. Now, at the same time, you have to acknowledge that it's tough to coach 
for IU. It's tough to win there. They are not a good program historically. They've had a couple interesting seasons every once in a while, but they go decades between uh, bowl wins. And, and although he's he has been a part of some of the most exciting seasons in IU history, he's just not that guy. And I think that we're likely to see him get fired at some point. One of the more interesting hires within the Big Ten was Matt Rule at Nebraska. So he was good at Temple and good at Baylor. was a little bit worse in the NFL, but I think the guy can coach, and he has a great reputation for being able to do so. But will he be good for Nebraska? I don't know. Nebraska's biggest problem is Nebraska. They have the weight of their own history that weighs them down in a lot of ways. And it's kind of tough to look at that program and say like, oh, they're just the right head coach away from being successful. You can recruit to Nebraska. You can get good coaches. You can get a good staff and all of that. But the football landscape has changed quite a bit since the 80s. And I like to make fun of Nebraska because their fans are annoying and their program is annoying. But I think that even amongst those fans, at least the ones that I've talked to in real life, there's this acknowledgement that those that long for those former days, like those days aren't coming again. And so you have to, if you're Nebraska, you have to take a step away from your history a little bit and look at your program as it exists today and ask yourself, what do we need to be successful today? It's not going to be going back and doing the same things that they were doing in the eighties when they were so successful. It's going to be doing something new. It's going to be reinventing that vision or that, that, um, expression of what that program actually is that's a really hard thing for for programs to do because it's really easy to fall back on the well back when we were successful we did these sorts of things and it's really hard to take a more critical look and say like who are our peers now because i think there are some within the nebraska program and certainly within the nebraska fan base who thinks their peers are the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world and the Georgias and all of those, because they are just, you know, one player, one coach, one, whatever away from being a dominant program again. And if you're being realistic, that just simply is not true. Their peer is closer. Their peer level is closer to Purdue than it is to Ohio state. And that for, for Nebraska fans, that can be a tough pill to swallow. Having said that, they've got a guy who's shown that he can coach and can coach in some difficult circumstances. You know, Baylor and 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 and, and Temple; those are those are programs that were struggling before he took over, and he did a really good job. So he, they've got a guy who has the ability to be very successful there. The question is, are they going to provide him with the right support? Is he going to get a leash long enough where he can start to build those like seven and eight win seasons and maybe turn those into nine and 10 wins? It's going to be a process. Are they willing to embrace that process? I don't know. But if they are, then they could be tough, but it's probably not going to be next year. As long as I talked about Nebraska, I, I don't know what to say about Kirk Ferentz in, in Iowa. Just, I was preparing notes for this episode, and all I wrote under this entry was LOL because I, I don't know what to say. Like They are the most excruciatingly bad offense that I've ever seen last year. It was just so awful. And it turns out that when you hire your son as your offensive coordinator, uh, whether he's qualified or not, not great things happen. They've never really been known for having an explosive offense. That's not part of their identity. But my God, that was just so awful to watch. And to not fire Brian Ferentz and to continue to move on as if things are going to be any different is just 
it's just, it's unfathomable to me. I have no idea why they think that this is going to work. So I hate watching Iowa. I'm not a fan at all of their athletic department and how they've handled uh, certain controversies in the future. Uh, not a fan of Kurt Ferentz, not a fan of his attitude towards the fans or the, or the media or anything that this, he, he's not done anything interesting in his time at Iowa. They've been, there's been a couple of good teams here and there, but he's not, good enough to earn the leash that he's had. I would be much better off firing him and moving on, but I think we all know that that's not going to happen. And so um, the good news is, is that you only have to watch Iowa. If your team plays Iowa, no one is forcing you to do that. If they are, you are probably in like duress. You might be like kidnapped and like forced to watch. I don't know something. There's no reason to watch. I I would, I would um, encourage everyone to skip every Iowa game that they possibly can this season because it's going to be more of the same, which was terrible. James Franklin at Penn State, he had a couple years there where it was looking like he would either move on, maybe to USC, or maybe he would even get fired because his his uh, teams were underperforming. Last season, um, he won 11 games. And the two seasons previous to that, he had won a total of 11. So is this the start of a turnaround or was this a fluke season? I don't know. I guess we'll find out this season. He's a, he's a really great recruiter. Penn State has been a program that's easy to recruit to. They're in a great region for recruiting that Midwest talent. They have to fight against Ohio State for those kids, of course. But at the same time, they've done fairly well with that. Their problem is that they recently at least have not really beat anyone uh, noteworthy they tend to you know take care of business against teams they should and then lose uh, against teams that that they shouldn't beat and you can only get by it there so much Penn State has a little bit of that Nebraska style problem too where the history of the program although I would argue maybe not quite as storied as Nebraska that history is a stone around their neck in a lot of ways. There was some reporting uh, several months ago around NIL and Penn State and and some of the boosters in Penn State thinking that just because that they are Penn State that they don't need to participate fully in that NIL style um, recruiting that everyone else is doing. That's a weird and wrong attitude to have and could lead to the program going down. But James Franklin has shown himself to be a decent leader of a program, a good head coach, and he's probably going to stick around for a little bit. This brings us to Ryan Walters, the new head coach at Purdue. And and I don't want to talk too much about Walters because we're going to talk more about him in a future episode. But after being a little bit nervous about this hire, I mean, I'll admit it. I was like, what? This is this guy, the Illinois defensive coordinator. This is who we're going to get. I know Illinois had a good defense, but you know, this is really where we're going to stake our claim. After being quite nervous about this, I was sold extremely quickly. And all it took, because I'm a very simple man who's easily manipulated, is is just watching how Ryan Walters operates within a room, whether it's a room full of players or fellow coaches or administrators or fans or media or whatever. He always seems to have um, that the right level of confidence for that role. And I think it's really shown in how he's engaged with the program. And it's also shown in how he's been out recruiting. Purdue has done a fairly good job recruiting in that short period that he's been um, the head coach getting Hudson card, as we talked about in an earlier episode was a huge win for this program. Hudson has the talent to really be a difference maker for Purdue. He's a guy that could have gone anywhere in the country and 
most like I'm having a hard time thinking of a single team that wouldn't have been excited to have him. And uh, Purdue got him, and that's that's a Ryan Walters thing. And he has this certain presence about him, and he's recruited to join his staff. Other coaches that have that same energy, that same presence, being a young coaching staff can be such a boon in a lot of ways. It can also be a bit of a problem. You know, you have to do more, but you have to learn more. You maybe don't don't appreciate those things that you don't know yet. I don't know. We'll find out with him. But I think that there's a lot of reason to be excited. So the question with him is going to be, can he plug the holes on the roster? So there are holes at wide receiver, holes at defensive line. There's a lack of depth at the quarterback position, at the running back position. There's still questions around the linebackers, around the secondary. There are a lot of places where you're looking at this and thinking, well, how is Purdue going to match up next season? And I don't really know. But returns so far have been positive. I'm excited. And we'll just have to see how that goes. So thanks again for listening to this week's episode of uh, Random BS. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please hit me up on Twitter at The Railroad Tie. Give me a follow. Follow Boiled Sports if you're not already. You probably are already. Um, but anyway, thank you for listening. I appreciate you. And we'll um, come back next week with a new episode. Mm-hmm.